lesson this morning comes from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, and who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh though I have myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please sing this song with me as we prepare our hearts for the ministry of God's word. friends it's good to see you I'm I was I've people are actually repositioning themselves um, because I, I tend not to look this way and so I'm going to do my best this morning to go over here and do a little nod over here and hold it you know like a hold it like at a really hard point and just be like yeah I'm looking at you Matt yeah um, I'm going to see the best that I can do and maneuver this way and keep my head on a swivel because I mean it's true and so I've Appreciate that. I, sometimes I get focused one way. Uh, friends, every competent sermon, I say competent, uh, seeks to do a couple of things. 
but the main thing is, is it, it seeks to answer this question. It's like, what is the gospel and how are we responding to it? So what is, what is God doing in the passage? By what is God doing in the passage, reveal who God is to us, and then how are you and I linking arms with him and responding to this good news, and what are some ways that we're not? See, the good news, when it came to the uh, first century Palestine, the good news was that whom was dead is now alive. Whom was dead, who we kind of looked to, the, the one who claimed to be king, the one who claimed to be Lord, and then all of your hopes and dreams, aspirations and futures were gone when you saw him brutally murdered. Now he is alive and your hope is restored in him. That God came down to earth through the man Jesus to repair, to restore, to call, to redeem, to remind, and he paid the cost of it all. He paid the cost of it all. And we respond to him by gazing upon this treasure, by seeking to understand it, by looking for ways in which we embody it, how to live it out into the world. And the question is, to what end? Why? And it's to be a new kind of human being. Really, that's what it is. When Jesus captivates our hearts by grace, when the light of the gospel shines down upon us, comes upon us, our lives are changed, transformed to become a new human being, a new way of living where our purpose for life, our meaning for life, our desires of our hearts, our passions, the way that you and I order our life, patterns of those, the life that we have, is all focused on this one thing. It's gazing upon this one thing. Friends, this is what the Bible talks about, is conversion. Converted, changed. Paul was completely, totally, absolutely converted. He was fully persuaded that Jesus, no matter what culture said, no matter the fact that they beat him and threw him out of a gate, he, he came back to consciousness and ran back in and started talking about the Savior King all over again. I, I was in seminary, and I was reading a lot about C.S. Lewis. One, because it was assigned to me, and two, I thought I'd just discover him for the first time, and I wanted to tell everybody the good news of C.S. Lewis. I only thought that he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Please, don't think less of me, all right? <laughs> don't think less of me. But that's all I knew. And so I started voraciously reading, listening to, this is where, like, like listening to books on tape were going super strong. And so I was into it. And so I was listening to it all the time. And I came upon an article that was, that was written by a professor in Pennsylvania, but it was kind of an exchange between Lewis and one of his good friends talking about his time on the BBC. See, in the 1940s, BBC asked Lewis to give a series of lectures, series of talks to... Um, you know, to British, the UK, asking a few questions. It's like, and what is Christianity was one of the main ones. And Lewis, when he was asked, said this. He said, 
I'd been asked because they knew I was an atheist for years and only became a Christian quite fairly recently. Uh, they thought that that would mean that I would be able to see the difficulties and be able to remember what Christianity looks like on the outside. Lewis goes on to uh, say in one of his lectures that in, during this process in which he was uh, converting, if, if you will, or seeking um, uh, some reality, some meaning, some purpose. He said that I, I, I weighed all the other world views and eventually found all of them wanting. And at that moment, I was, quote, the most reluctant convert to the faith. His friend later said this. He said, this very reluctancy is a sign of Lewis's spiritual integrity, his full recognition that the commitment to the Christian faith would be a life-changing event, not just a casual decision to where he spent Sunday mornings. When he was ready to make the surrender of his will, that was the, uh, the requirement that he knew was asked of him, Lewis entered into the faith with his whole heart and mind and soul. He was the most completely converted human I had ever known. This was Paul as well. See, Paul came upon uh, the man Jesus on his way to the road to Damascus, on his way to do the opposite of what Jesus knocked him off his horse, changed his name, and then asked him to do. And in this passage, we, we hear this passion of this man named Paul, this apostle, when he says, whatever were gains, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I consider all of those things garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I forget everything and I do, I press, I press toward the prize. Extreme language, everything. Nothing, one thing, always. And these words come from um, one of the most completely transformed, converted humans, but also a human being that transformed history as we know it. Uh, his conversion was one of these definitive moments in, in, in recorded human history because his life, his theology, um, the way that he thought, the way that he viewed God, the things that Jesus had revealed to him shaped most of, much of Western culture as we know it today, right? Like now. And he was completely converted. In this life of uh, conversion, this complete, thorough, giving surrender of himself to Jesus led to a life of joy. It led to a life of fulfillment, contentment. It led to this beautiful life. And see, when I read things like this, friends, when I, when I read about people like Lewis or like Paul or like somebody else I'm going to mention later who's one of my favorites of all time, you probably already know who he is, but I'm going to say him again. I wonder what happened to them. Like what in their life like, what happened in their guts on the inside that they changed course so radically? I think Paul's one of those people, and he's going to give us a few indications of, of what that life looks like and how to follow. 
Uh, pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, who is indeed our rock and redeemer. Let everything that we do be a place, a platform for you to shine, for you to be known, for you to be seen, for you to restore, to redeem. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Verse 1, uh, Paul says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. I love this, this way that Paul talks to these people. He says, listen, I know that I've told you once before. I know that I've said it, but I love you, and I'm going to say it again because this will safeguard you. This will keep you safe. I know that's a place that long, many of us long for. We long for a place to be safe, to be known, to be seen fully. And Paul says that this, this, what I'm telling you about who this person is, is a safeguard for you. I love the heart that he shows there. And then he goes on. He's like, I'm safeguard. Watch out for those dogs. Interesting language. Those evildoers, those manipulators of the flesh. See, Paul is doing something a little tricky here. Uh, if you were born, of a, born of, of a Jew, and if you were part of the Jewish nation, anybody that was not a Jew, you called a dog. The Gentiles, me and you, unless you're Jewish, dogs. If you go to Brooklyn, New York, you'll understand that that still lives. Hasidic Jews don't talk to other people. They look less of them. They, they think less of them, for sure. And Paul is doing this interesting thing. He's saying, he's saying, they're the dogs. Be careful of those people that come to manipulate. See, there's this beautiful, flourishing community that's happening in Philippi. And it's, it's based upon love, and it's based upon grace. And there's this group of people that come in, and they're saying, Jesus is great, but he's not enough. Jesus is good, and the grace that you have received from him is amazing, but he's not enough. You now need the law. You need this extra thing. See, Paul is getting to a theme that runs throughout most of his uh, letters, is the, the idea of law and grace. He's saying, beware of those people who live with an external focus, who solely are focused on the external. See, religion focuses on the external without an inward reality that took place. It's a cleaning up of behavior and posture, but nothing has been transformed in, in their heart. And he says, beware of those people. Beware of those manipulators. Beware of those dogs. Beware of such people, but also beware that this sort of mindset and living doesn't get attached to you. Tim Keller says this, he says, those being the religious or the Pharisees, Sadducees, they, they build their lives with a sense of worth on their, their moral and spiritual performance as a kind of resume to present before God and the world. The moral and the spiritual standards of all religions are high, and the Pharisees know deep down that they are not fully living up to these standards. They're not praying as often as they should. They're not loving and serving their neighbor as much as they should. They are not keeping the inner thoughts as pure as they should. And this sort of focus completely on the external without an inward change results in a life of anxiety, insecurity, irritability, because the reality, the, the irritability and the insecurity, the reality is much greater than anything being experienced in their religious practices. 
He's saying the reality of trying to keep it together when even though you know you're crumbling on the inside is not going to give you the reward or the joy or the hope that you want. See, friends, the message of Jesus was not, I've come to you that you might follow rules. It's, I've come to you so that you might have life. And let me show you then how to live. It is to learn to be like him, to experience the joy that he experienced, the peace that he has, not trying to do good. It's supposed to learn from him and how to live in God's world, God's way. That's the point. And all of this, friends, Paul is saying, is built upon a relationship of grace, and it remains by love and trust. Trusting him, loving him. See, religion tells us, friends, if you do the right thing, then you will finally feel like you're good enough and worthy enough to the world. But Jesus says, you are a complete and total mess. And I'm so in love with you. I'm so in love with you. Friends, Jesus sees you as you really are, more than your spouse will know, more than anybody else. And if we're honest and for true, this is what we all seek. We all seek to be known. We all seek to be seen. We all seek to be loved. But see, what happens is, is that when we let out certain little vulnerabilities or, or, or allow people to see us in ways, we often are met with judgment and, and, and rejection and so therefore, we build up our walls, we build up the external to keep ourselves safe. And Jesus says, I'm trying to break through all of that. Get to the heart. Let me tell you who you are. It is only Jesus that sees all of us and still loves us. It's only him. Yesterday, I was at Seth's basketball game. And uh, his, his, his uh, team is undefeated. And... I didn't think that I was getting into it as much as I was. I, I, don't want, I don't want him to lose now. It's like 12 games. I was like, no, we're going to go undefeated. And it's kind of got a hold of me a little bit. Um, but we're playing, we're playing against a team, and it was just volunteer coaches. Refs. Volunteer refs. Thanks. Not volunteer coaches. Volunteer refs. And one of the refs was from their side, and one of the refs was from our side. And the backstory story was is that ref from their side was the same ref that last year that uh, they lost the game, and it was like this big, huge thing of getting the bad calls. I didn't know the back history. I just know he's making horrible calls. <laughs> horrible calls. And, and at some point, because I am so calm, cool, and collected, I couldn't take it anymore, and I'm standing up, and I was like, because he was counting three seconds. He's counting three seconds on our team, but he wasn't counting it at all on their team, on us, but not on them. He's calling traveling on our team, but oh, my goodness. Not on, on their team. And so the kid, like, took a trip with mail and, like, walked down the court, totally traveling. And I was like, travel! And then I stand up and I was like, one, two, three, three seconds. One, two, three, three seconds! And I'm getting louder and louder and louder. And I want everyone to know that I was not, I was not alone. I, there was a chorus of us. See? There, was, there was a mighty chorus, like angels surrounding the throne of God. It was an angels of chorus. And it was me and a bunch of other parents. And this, this sweet mom had enough. And she stood up, and I was closest to her. 
And her and my wife are friends. And she stands up, and she's like, there. She, she kind of goes off on all of us. And I, being Christ-like, sat down. Um, but what happened is, is that I sat there, honestly, steaming. I'm steaming. And I get up because I don't ever sit in a lotus position and do anything. And so I got up, and I started pacing over in the corner. And be, I wasn't so disturbed on what anybody thought of me. But what I remembered was, is that I represent my bride, too. And, like, that's her friend. And this is our school. And I just kind of did something that I felt was justified, but made somebody very angry. So I'm over in the corner, like, beating myself up. Just like, gosh, man, when you did it again. You know, you can't sit next to your wife the rest of the game because you'll feel hurt. You, you guys know what that feels like, right? You go in a room and, like, oh, my wife, I did something wrong and it's, it's kind of cold. And uh, <laughs> she, wasn't, she wasn't cold toward me, but I, just, I was like, I messed up. And then I was thinking about this passage. I honestly was. And I thought, like, Lord, you see all of that. And even when it comes out, and you still love me. And there was this joy that began to be restored until I made a bad call again. But it's true. Some, see, friends, something happens, happens in the human heart the human soul, when grace is the deepest part of our operating system. When that is at the deepest like, part of who we are, the grace that is given to us, our behavior, something begins to change. Grace says that there is nothing that you can do to make God love you more, and there is nothing that you can do to make God love you less. That's grace. The scripture says when you were enemies and sinners and a far way off, Christ still died for you. And Paul is reminding them again, don't forget this. Let this be at the center of your operating system. Let this be how you respond out of all of life. I see you. I love you. You did nothing. I chose you. Paul goes on in this passage and he says, if there's any, any reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. What is he saying? He's like, I come, if there's anybody who's going to boast about who I am or things that are good, I am. It's like, I come, I'm a Vanderbilt. I'm a gate. I come from a good family line. My, my families have made good decisions. I went to all of the right schools. I was the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law of Pharisee, I was at the top. As regard to zeal, you want to know how passionate I am? I'll kill you if you don't believe it. I'll persecute you, throw you in prison if you don't believe it. As far as righteousness based on the law, faultless. Over 600 laws, friends, and he said, I adhere to them all perfectly. He took off their spice rack, and I mean, they were like 10% basil to Jesus, like offering it. They were intense. And then he goes on to say this beautiful thing, all of it lost. Why is it lost? Because of Jesus. All of it lost. What is more, I consider everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things and consider them garbage because I've gained him. 
When you gaze inwardly, and we all do this, and we, we gaze and we look and we, we try to find things that bring us significance or that, that create a sense of assurance or happiness, are you looking at things that you have done? I've made good decisions. I'm married well. I got good kids. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm able to put them in good schools. Like I've made, I've, I've got a good portfolio. I've, these things, these things bring me comfort. Paul says, rubbish. It's rubbish for the sake of Jesus. It's all rubbish. I have no confidence in that. All I see is what he has done. All I see is the beauty of him and what he has done. See, Paul took all of the channeling of the energy of his self-righteousness and it turned into this radical joy because of the relief the gospel brings to the human soul. The gospel brings such relief. In the church at Philippi, they're experiencing this group of people that are coming saying, you need more, you need to add more, you need to do more. You've ever met a person that on the outside everything is clean and neat and attractive, not necessarily, not necessarily attractive physically, but their life is attractive, it's presented well, but when you get to know them, their life is so far away from what they're presenting. He said there's this whole group of people that are coming acting like that, saying, be like me. See, religion, friends, at its heart, doesn't really believe they need God. What they're trying to do is control God. That's what religion does. They, they're saying, I really don't need you because I've actually made really great decisions and I've done really amazing things. And I don't need you. What I want to do is control you. Ryan, I don't think that's true. Ever met a group of people that tried to say, you don't get to receive grace, but they do? Or ever met a group of people that have said, you don't get to get in, but you guys get to get in because you made the right decisions, you look a certain way? Ever met a group of people that were able to determine who was acceptable and who was not? Or a group of people that wanted to set the rules that went beyond what God has said? Ever met those? One author says, religion is an attempt to deal with the disaster of the human heart by manipulating the divine. David Brenner says, fearful people, Pharisees, hypocrites, live with restricted boundaries. People who live with fear are compelled to remain in control. They attempt to control themselves. They attempt to control others in their world. Often, despite their best intentions, this spills over into effects of control of others. Fear blocks the responsiveness to others. A fearful person may appear deeply loving. But fear always interferes with the impulse towards love. Energy invested in maintaining safety and comfort or looking well and presentable always dispels the energy to love others. See, Paul is trying to get at the heart of them and trying to get to the heart of us and said, you've been given grace, don't forget it. See, it, the law, religion seeks to eliminate bad behavior, and it kills joy. And here's the reason why. Because you cannot rejoice in the Lord if you are in the middle of trying to earn it. 
You can't. You just got to bask in it, receive it, and allow it to wash over you and how beautiful it is. You can't seek to earn it. Paul here, in, in so many ways, is saying, Jesus took hold of me. I did not take hold of him. You know, it's like I've, the other day I was like, yeah, I'm sort of picking up cooking, you know, just trying to check it out. See, we don't do this with Jesus. You don't pick it up and try it out. He takes you over. He comes upon you. He gives a call. You receive it. He is the producer and editor of our faith, the author, the finisher, the perfecter. He starts it. He finishes it. And this is true freedom because if I start it, I got to keep it going. He does it all. Paul's saying the only thing that I contribute this is my need. Life with Jesus takes us up. It doesn't, it comes upon us. We don't take it up. And I find this to be extremely joyous and freeing because I don't have to cultivate a reality that doesn't exist. I don't have to wonder how to get from here to there. I don't have to try and make it happen. All I have to do is remember and engage a reality that already exists. Christ has done it. God has therefore gotten a hold of me. Therefore, all of my life is covered in grace. All of my life is covered in grace. I think of the prodigal son, friends, and this, this image of the son that's seeking to come back and try to earn it by this, this just make me a servant. Trying to earn it back and say, I don't, I don't want to be a son, but just let me be in your house. And before he could even get out the words, the father overtakes him. The actual language there is he knocks him down. And all of us want to be chosen. All of us want to be sought out. All of us want to be wanted. And this is what Jesus is trying to say to us over and over and over again. We live in this reality. And by embracing this grace, friends, what we see in Paul's life is this wholehearted devotion. This radical, wholehearted devotion because he saw the overwhelming love that God had for him through Jesus. Thomas Merton says, the mystery of Christ in the Gospels is that it concentrates the rise of God's, the rays of God's light and fire into a point that sets the heart and the spirit of mankind ablaze. So how does this work? I'm closing. How does this work? And it's simple, but it's so not easy. Paul says, one thing I do. I do one thing. I forget and I press forward to one thing. Kierkegaard says to be a saint is to want one thing. Think about your heart. Think about your desires. How often they're affected by others. I want that now. Or I want that now. I want that now. I want that. Or what about this? This will make me happy. It says one thing I want. I want The truth is, friends, is we got to be a people of one thing, a desire for one thing, to look at him and say, I, I don't want to admire you. I want to imitate you. I want to I follow you. 
This resounding yes that says, I want to take all of the brokenness that I have, all of, of the failings, and I want to fail upward because you're to what I'm looking at. Friends, my favorite person that does this, Henry Now. 39 books, 7 million copies. This is before social media. Here's what he said. This was the tension of his life. This is, this is the tension of his life. I want to be a great saint, but I also want to experience the sensations of all of the sins. I want to withdraw into silence of prayer, but I also don't want to miss anything happening in the world. I want to bury myself amongst the poor, but I also want to write books, be known, meet lots of people, do interesting things, and to be loved by all. Do you know the first movement to this life that we all seek, the first movement that happens in Paul's life and, in, and has happened in Henry's life and has happened in so many countless others' lives? is that they step into the light and they stay. They step into it and they stay. They don't go back and forth. They make the choice. They step into the light. The light has come, and I'm not going to hide from it anymore. I'm going to refuse to put back on the fig leaf. I'm going to refuse to act like something that I'm not. This is who I am, and I know that you love me, and I'm going to fail going towards you. That's what it does. It's a life that says, I'm not hiding any longer. Shine your light so bright upon me. I don't care what anybody else thinks. Give me Jesus. That is a life that produces the joy that you long. That is a life that produces the assurance that you seek. That is the life that you and I all want to live. Are you going to stay in the light? Are you going to let the gospel shine down upon you in such a way that you don't care what others think? And you're saying, but this is who I am, and I'm coming towards you. One thing I desire. One thing I want. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, take our messed up desires, our longings for everything else but you, and set us ablaze to see you, to love you, to know you. Father, as we come to this table, which is indeed a table of grace, which is a table we don't earn, a table we just respond to, speak to us in it, through it. Affirm who we are through it. Let joy overflow as we seek to take it. Remind us of who.